Writing your oncology case report is a huge undertaking, and it's easy to make silly mistakes that can derail your entire writing process. That's why you need my brand new masterclass, the three-step framework for a finished case report. In this free masterclass, you'll learn three of the biggest mistakes to avoid when writing your case report, the secrets to actually finishing your case report, no matter the patient case you've chosen, and my proven three-step framework for starting and finishing your very own oncology case report. Save your seat today at theoncopt.com slash framework. Again, that's theoncopt.com slash framework. Welcome to the Onco PT Podcast, where you'll learn from oncology experts, practitioners, and patients to help you on your journey to become a confident and competent Onco PT. Here's your host, Elise Contu. Hey there, and welcome to this episode of the Onco PT Podcast. I'm your host, Elise, and again, we are continuing with our episode theme for this month on multiple myeloma. Today, we're really diving into the treatment and why it's so different from person to person, even though on paper, these patients both have multiple myeloma. Now, to reintroduce us, to reorient us here, we discussed in episode 202 that multiple myeloma is the most common primary bone cancer in the U.S. and the second most common hematological cancer in the United States, second only to non-Hodgkin lymphoma. This means that multiple myeloma makes up about 1% of all cancer diagnoses in the U.S. And while that's not very big in the grand scheme of things, especially when we consider other diagnoses like breast cancer, lung cancer, prostate cancer, it's really important that we as the physical therapist understand the vast and truly widespread impact that multiple myeloma and its treatments have on our patients and their lives. Now, before we dive into the meat and potatoes of our episode today, it's important we get a couple things out of the way. We are not going to discuss solitary plasma cytoma in this podcast episode. If you want to know more about that, you can read about that on your own time. I'm going to talk just a tiny bit about smoldering myeloma, which is this asymptomatic form or precursor to multiple myeloma. And then we're going to spend the majority of our time in this episode talking about truly symptomatic multiple myeloma or multiple myeloma as we'll refer to it moving forward. Now, patients with smoldering myeloma are truly in this asymptomatic pre-multiple myeloma state. And these patients are going to be classified into either high-risk or low-risk categories depending on the likelihood that their smoldering myeloma will progress into full-blown multiple myeloma. Patients at low risk may undergo some kind of observation, no real treatment, or they may even undergo a clinical trial, you know, for to see like maybe it would work. Is there something out there that could work for them? Patients at high risk of progressing to multiple myeloma may begin a therapy called lenalidomide, or they might undergo a clinical trial or even just some observation. It really depends on specific patient factors, not super important for us to know, but I do want you to appreciate that there is this kind of pre-multiple myeloma state where patients are going to be observed, maybe undergo some treatment, and then once, if they do actually progress into multiple myeloma, this is when we start talking about the treatment protocol for this symptomatic multiple myeloma. 
Once a patient is diagnosed with symptomatic multiple myeloma, they will initiate some kind of systemic therapy and then some kind of bone targeting treatment. Depending on their symptoms, depending on what else they're presenting with, they could also begin some kind of other care, like some other kind of supportive care to manage their symptoms, again, based on what they're experiencing. But one thing it's really critical to note here is that patients should begin treatment immediately for their multiple myeloma because of how truly aggressive it can be. As they're undergoing treatment, so once they've started this systemic therapy, patients will then be assessed to determine if they're an appropriate candidate for a hematopoietic stem cell transplant. But we're not going to delay medical treatment for multiple myeloma to determine this candidacy for hematopoietic stem cell transplant. There's some other diagnoses out there that maybe we would pause treatment or delay it a little bit to try and maybe prep their bodies for it or to make some further decisions. But multiple myeloma is one of those diagnoses that's kind of a, we need to get started now. And on top of that, patients usually have to undergo this primary systemic therapy before they could even consider if they're going to pursue a hematopoietic stem cell transplant. So throughout the primary treatment for the multiple myeloma, patients are going to be monitored to see what kind of a response they're having to this treatment. And it really boils down to two main things. Either their multiple myeloma is responding positively to the primary therapy, or it's not and the patient's had some progression of disease. So again, this is kind of that first part of the decision tree. You and I, the physical therapist, are not making these decisions. But I want us to be aware of why this is happening, kind of how this process takes place to determine what's the next step for our patient. I'll talk a little bit more about some of my previous patients in a future episode, but I had a patient who was diagnosed with multiple myeloma, was undergoing this systemic therapy, and it was interesting that his stuff was kind of up in the air as far as what he was going to do next because they really didn't know how he was responding to the disease. They had an idea that he was un- going to undergo some kind of, you know, systemic therapy, and then he was going to do his hematopoietic stem cell transplant. But it was interesting because they had a plan, and then that plan kind of fell through for one reason or another. And so then he got put back on chemotherapy, and then went ahead and did his hematopoietic stem cell transplant. I'm not saying that's the case for everybody, but it's interesting, and I think it really helps kind of explain some of that oh, this is happening, nope, this is happening now because of really assessing what kind of a response this patient had to his treatment and how his multiple myeloma was actually responding. So if a patient has a response, a positive response to their primary therapy, meaning that the multiple myeloma responded positively to treatment, they may then undergo a hematopoietic stem cell transplant. Now, in next week's episode, we are going to get down into the details of hematopoietic stem cell transplants. I've got an amazing guest coming on. Y'all are going to love it. We really get down into the nitty gritty of these transplants. But for now, what you need to appreciate is that patients will either undergo a transplant with their own cells, meaning their own cells are harvested, manufactured, grown in the lab, and then reintroduced into the body, 
Or a person could undergo a transplant of someone else's cells that are harvested, again, taken to the lab, and then reintroduced back into that person's body as part of their multiple myeloma treatment. That is kind of the quick and dirty descriptor of a hematopoietic stem cell transplant. Again, more on that later. Quick recap on treatment so far. Patients start treatment for their multiple myeloma, and they either have a response to treatment, and maybe they undergo hematopoietic stem cell transplant, maybe they're undergoing some kind of maintenance or continuous therapy, or they don't have a response. And then maybe their, their agents are changed, maybe they switch out a couple in efforts to try and put the patient into a disease-free state to get them into remission. But no matter what happens after this first line of therapy, we have to remember this. Multiple myeloma is an incurable disease. It is a progressive disease, meaning that hopefully we get the person into some kind of remission, but the multiple myeloma is going to come back at some point. The patient will likely undergo multiple rounds of this treatment, achieve remission. Treatment because there's been a recurrence, comes back, and then they undergo treatment and then hopefully get them into remission. And this cycle can continue for multiple rounds. Now, as of the time that of this recording, September 2022, this is the reality for many patients. At some point, multiple rounds down the road, a patient may be considered for something called CAR T cell therapy. But right now, this is a later line therapy, meaning that patients will usually have, again, multiple rounds of other treatments prior to them being eligible for CAR T-cell therapy. Now, this may change in the coming years, but right now, again, CAR T-cell therapy is only approved for later line treatment for patients with multiple myeloma. When it comes to the specific agents used for multiple myeloma treatment, the preferred treatment regimens are actually quite similar between patients who are candidates and those who are not candidates for hematopoietic stem cell transplant. Regimens are usually going to include some kind of cocktail of bortezomib, lenalidomide, and dexamethasone. Sometimes for certain patients, that bortezomib will be substituted out by something called carfilzomib. Excuse me, there's a lot of consonants in these words here. And some patients may even undergo an additional agent called daratimumab. Now we know Every patient's different, so there may be certain scenarios in which patients are undergoing different treatments with different agents, but at least these three, bortezomib, lenalidomide, dexamethasone, are pretty common in the multiple myeloma patients, at least in this first round, probably like early rounds of treatment. For patients who are on maintenance therapy for multiple myeloma, so they have achieved some kind of stable disease whatever that looks like for them, these agents may still be very similar. Patients will commonly be on lenalidomide for this maintenance therapy. You may remember from earlier that patients even with smoldering myeloma may be put on lenalidomide. But the idea is that if a patient's multiple myeloma is responding to the drug, then they'll stay on it. But when the patient experiences progression or relapses, then the agents that they are on will likely change. But they still very much mirror that initial cocktail that we talked about. 
When referring to the NCCN guidelines for multiple myeloma, which I will link in today's show notes, there is pretty much every imaginable combination of different chemotherapy and immunotherapies based on this initial three that I talked about here. But when patients start to experience later relapses, so I think it's more than three rounds of treatment that they've been on, these agents are going to change more significantly. And so we may even see the inclusion of a drug called bendamustine in combination with some of these other agents. Now, we've talked a lot so far about different chemotherapies and immunotherapies, but you've noticed that we haven't really talked about radiation therapy or even surgery for multiple myeloma. That's because we really don't treat patients with radiation therapy and with surgery for their multiple myeloma. Now, radiation therapy can be used for palliative purpose with these patients. Maybe that's helping to stabilize some bony lesions. Maybe it's used for different symptom management. And we could see the same thing for surgery in some cases. But generally, these patients are going to undergo pharmacological treatments for their multiple myeloma. Now, beyond the immediate chemotherapy and immunotherapy patients will undergo for their multiple myeloma, you and I know that these patients can have other complications related to their multiple myeloma. Thinking back to those signs and symptoms of multiple myeloma, again, think CRAB for our acronym here, C for elevated calcium, R for renal failure, A for anemia, B for bone lesions, patients may need treatment for some or all of these complications of their multiple myeloma. For patients who have bone disease, again, which is a major majority of patients with multiple myeloma, even at diagnosis, again, remember it's somewhere around like 80% of patients already have bone integrity issues at diagnosis. So big problem here. These patients should be receiving some kind of bisphosphonate treatment and may even undergo denosumab to help with their bone integrity. It really depends. But this is pretty much an expectation from the onset of treatment, period, for these patients that they will undergo some kind of bone therapy. For patients who have other multiple myeloma-related complications, again, remember, hypercalcemia, anemia, renal dysfunction, these patients will undergo additional treatment, again, likely to focus that. But the reason that I really want us to really zoom in on the bone disease is because of other risk factors that patients can have. And the big one that we're talking about here is these patients, especially with these bone issues, are at an increased risk for an oncologic emergency. Now, I may have piqued your interest a little bit here. So if you're multitasking or if you're a little distracted, come back to me because it is really, really important that you hear this next part. Patients with multiple myeloma are at an increased risk of developing some kind of venous thromboembolism in the first six months after their diagnosis. Now, we know cancer survivors are already at an increased risk of developing some kind of venous thromboembolism, but patients with multiple myeloma have an extra level of risk associated with this. And the reason I bring it up in conjunction with the bone disease is that for a lot of patients, depending on where their bony lesion is, again, it really depends. Mine has been mainly in the lumbar spine so far with my patients, but a lot of these patients may be put into different, you know, braces or different kind of 
orthoses to help stabilize whatever fractures they may have or, you know, impending fractures. And this definitely decreases a person's mobility, how much they're moving around. And you and I know, because we've talked about this previously, both in schooling, but also a lot on the OncoPT podcast, that immobility is a significant risk factor for venous thromboembolisms. And these patients are ripe with opportunity, unfortunately, for immobility or decreased mobility. So they've already got that working for them. Well, truly working against them, unfortunately. But beyond that, there's also some additional multiple myeloma specific risk factors that increase a person's risk of this. So for example, being on immunomodulatory drugs is an automatic increased risk factor for DVT, etc. And then being on different doses of dexamethasone, both below a certain level, but also above a certain level, automatically increase a person's risk of DVT, thromboembolism, etc. As you may recall, dexamethasone is one of the first standard agents for the primary treatment of multiple myeloma. So again, uh, check, already got that working against us. And then this whole immunomodulatory drug part, A quick Google search tells us what the heck is an immunomodulatory drug, and some common examples include thalidomide, lenalidomide, and again, lenalidomide is one of the hallmark, like staple drugs when it comes to treating multiple myeloma. I tell you this not to scare you, of course, but to make sure and to really emphasize that we must be hypervigilant of potential complications such as venous thromboembolism for our patients with multiple myeloma. Multiple myeloma can sometimes be a confusing diagnosis to work with. Sometimes patients are undergoing treatment. Sometimes they're not undergoing treatment. They may be waiting to find out if they're a candidate for hematopoietic stem cell transplant. They may have already had a hematopoietic stem cell transplant, or they may be even preparing to undergo this new exciting treatment called CAR T-cell therapy. More on that a little later on the podcast. But no matter where they are in their treatment journey, we, the physical therapist, have a lot of things that we can do to help the person with multiple myeloma. You may already be thinking about potential side effects and impairments that can result from the different chemotherapy and immunotherapy agents we've talked about previously. You also know that cancer survivors are already at an increased risk of developing certain impairments as a result of their cancer and or their cancer treatments. And these are general, right? We're thinking cancer-related fatigue, balance problems, weakness, deconditioning, the list truly goes on. We also know that one of the best things that we can do for patients who have cancer is to get them moving safely. And if that wasn't already important and like exciting enough for us because we are the movement specialists here, we also know that moving safely can potentially decrease a person's risk of developing a venous thromboembolism, again, which is a huge problem with the multiple myeloma patient population. No matter your experience with multiple myeloma thus far, it's likely that you'll encounter one of these patients at some point in your career. And these patients are going to need your skilled physical therapy services. So now I want to hear from you. What did I miss? 
What else would you include in this episode about multiple myeloma treatment? Message me on Instagram at the OncoPT and let me know. Until next time, this is Elise with the OncoPT. And remember, you are exactly the physical therapist that your patients with cancer need. So let's get to work. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Onco PT Podcast. If you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, leave a rating and review, or support us on Patreon. 